I'm Tina. And this is Obsessed with the Best. India Oxenberg is a writer, activist, and executive producer for the star's documentary, Seduced, Inside the Nexium Cult. This past January, she released her memoir, Still Learning, which documents her seven-year experience with and escape from the toxic cult, Nexium. By sharing her story, she hopes to raise awareness about the insidious nature of female coercion. We are so honored to welcome India to our podcast. We are just so honored to be speaking with you. We're so honored to have you here. Thank you so much for being here. We're just really excited. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited too. I love what you guys talk about and what you promote and it's right up my alley. So thank you for having me. Yeah. Thank you. So where, where are you coming to us from right now? Are you, you're in California? I am. Amazing. In Los Angeles, California. Oh, it looks so sunny and beautiful. You know, it is pretty sunny and beautiful, but right now if I showed you my window view, you would feel an alley and some trash cans, but it is normally very beautiful and it is sunny out. So it's where I grew up and it's where I often come back to, you know, I always have a special place in my heart for Los Angeles and the Mm -hmm. beach and all of that, but life takes you different places and we've been on the road quite a bit. And I've seen just a lot of different variations of how people are living and handling the pandemic. And, and it's just so cool to just get out of your comfort zone sometimes. For sure. Yeah, that must have been so interesting. What were some of the highlights I want to hear about the road trip? Oh, well, I'd say the highlights were really coming from we what we did was we drove from Philadelphia to Florida, and then we took the 10 interstate 10 all or highway 10 or whatever you want to call it all the way back to Los Angeles. And so we stopped through many states that I haven't been through in the deeper part of the South, and even explored um, an area in kind of the most southern part of Texas that touches uh, Mexico called Big Bend National Park. And I think that was really one of my highlights because I have never been to a proper dark sky. And this is one of the only dark skies that they have in the lower 48. And so besides like Alaska, (laughs) where there's zero light pollution. And so you get to see just the most incredible stars. And um, one of the nights where we were doing some primitive camping, where there was literally no one around in this place uh, called Painted Sky, that was like the campground. Well, really, it's not a campground. It's a, you're in the middle of nowhere. (laughs) So no bathrooms, no water, no, no, nothing. How did you do that? Oh my gosh, I cannot imagine. No, I learned. I learned and I I have a really good, um, very well-trained fiance when it comes to camping and being off the grid. And if it was me, it wouldn't, I wouldn't have made it. So that's me. I'm like, where's the nearest La Quinta? I need a hotel. Yeah. I would have never made it. (laughs) No, but I, I just, it just really reminded me of how much I love nature. And I think that was one of the highlights and like how safe I feel in nature. And Mm. And that's something that I remember really feeling when I was a child. And that that was special to kind of like reconnect to that. But it was really seeing just this pure sky, watching the sun sunset, the moon rise, and then all of these incredible stars above me and just being without any light pollution, any people, any noise except for nature. And that that is just really healing. And and I think for me it it just once again, reminded me that I need that. Like that's the kind of time that I need to just restore and repair. And you can definitely go to a spa, which I love to do as well. Yes, but we do too. Sometimes, sometimes really taking yourself out of the things that you think that you need immediately just remind you of how much more resourceful you actually are. 
And that was one of the things that Patrick and I talked about a lot, just like at night when we were just sitting around a fire, cooking dinner, it was just like, wow, I feel so powerful in a way. Like I feel really capable, like I can take care of myself. And you really only know that when you are tested and camping is a very nice and controlled way to test that. You know, no one really wants to be flung out on the streets ever. Uh, but if you had to, what would you do? How would you handle it? How would you prepare yourself? How would you have the things that you need to make yourself comfortable? Like for me, I hate being cold. So we had to buy a little portable generator so that I could plug in an electric blanket. So when we were in 15 degree weather, I didn't freeze my ass off. So (laughs) there's that. And there's just like, you know, you get a little bit of comfort, but then you get a little bit outside of your comfort. And it was nice for me to do that willfully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, I mean, sure. that's very inspiring to Tina and I. We live in Manhattan and we've done, we've lived here throughout the whole pandemic. So we, the amount of nature time that we have had this year, I think put together oh. is, is, is teensy. So yes. <laughs> so that sounds well, like such a gift. It is hard when you live in the city. And and that was another thing that we talked about. It's just like city life really means something very different to me now because it's less, especially in the pandemic, it's not really about the social scene. It's not really about mm-hmm. going out to eat with your friends or going to a bar. I mean, I, I that's coming. It's going to come back. I, I really believe that. But it's going to take time. And so like, what are you doing in a city? You're working. You're building, right. like you're building your career. You're like connected to your craft, your focus. That's the point. And that's how I feel even coming back to somewhere like Los Angeles is just like, okay, what's the purpose of being here? Because ultimately like my soul or whatever you want to call it wants to be in the woods, like wants to be at the beach, wants to be in nature yep. with none of this like noise and concrete and crap and trash. But it's, it, that's not how I want to look at it. I want to look at it like this is where I'm going to be. This is where I want to grow myself. And so I feel really different about coming back. It was kind of bittersweet because there's something nice about like escaping. But sure. you also have to come back to reality. Right, right, right. <laughs> well, and pay your bills. Yeah. Like sign up for electric and get a yeah, trash yeah, can yeah, and all yeah. that normal <laughs> shit. <laughs> well, that's yeah. such a good thing, an incredible thing to have learned about yourself though recently and, yeah. and to know. So Tina and I know you. We feel like we know you. We feel like you know you. I feel like I know you too. <laughs> <laughs> Because you're so, you're just so inspiring to us. And I think that many people will probably know you from your documentary, Seduced. But for any listeners who might not know you yet, can you kind of give us a little bit of context to how you came to your documentary, how you got involved in the first place? Yeah. Um, Well, my name is India. I am born and raised here in Southern California. My um, life took a very different turn when I joined a group called Nexium. At the time, I really only knew it as ESP, which was their kind of, was like their consumer front product, which they sold as a personal growth course. And I ended up taking that with my mom when I was 19 years old. And I had just left university in Boston. And I was like, lost, didn't know what to do, was looking for some structure. And I wanted to build a company, but I felt kind of like I just didn't have I just didn't have the skills to kind of be an entrepreneur. I was 19. And so I I, I was I was like, what's wrong with you? Why don't you have your shit together? And now I look at my 19-year-old sister. I'm like, oh my God. Right? Oh my gosh. Tina and I say this all the time that we were useless until we were like 26. (laughs) After 25, 
time. I was like, what the fuck? I was like, right. not really a functioning human before that. I was just like a floundering human. And then after 25, you're like, oh, I kind of know what to do now. And I'm yeah. a little bit more of an adult. But oh, yeah, I got mine a little later. <laughs> <laughs> I was a late bloomer, if you will. And so, you know, I ended up getting deeply involved in in this in this program in in what I just called is ESP and I didn't really relate to Nexium. Nexium is really Nexium and the use of that term really blew up when when it caught on in the media and that was mm-hmm. only a couple of years ago. Prior to that, it was kind of just the umbrella company that you really just only knew if you're inside of the group because that was part of their strategy was to have all these different sub companies so that they could uh, sell to anybody. And Interesting. so like ESP was one channel of recruitment, whereas they had multiple channels to see if they could kind of recruit uh, people more specifically. Mm-hmm. And that was, a stra- that was a strategy. And that all actually came from, from Keith and Nancy and the development of those companies were then put into the hands of what they called proctors. And those were people who had kind of risen from the start of being a coach, which is more of like a mentor position, mm-hmm. sorry, mentee position. Um, and then you come into it as a mentor. And that's all kind of chosen by the higher ranking members of Nexium, if that makes sense. So there really isn't an actual ranking system. You're told that there's a ranking system, but it's not really there. It's all kind of arbitrary. And so I was really aggressively trying to grow within this company at a certain point because I thought that this was going to be the way out for me. I thought this was going to be the skill sets that I needed in order to be a successful functioning adult past 25. But right, right. <laughs> and I was really only in my early 20s when I when I was recruited into a subgroup of uh, Nexium, and that was called DOS, and that was pitched to me as a secret sorority for women only. And at the time, once again, I had kind of felt really lost and like, why am I not growing? Like, what is wrong with me? I've just felt super stuck. And I was there at that kind of cracked, vulnerable moment when Allison Mack pitched this women's group to me, and I I remember really feeling like oh my God, I, I need that. Like, I need that structure. I need that kick in the ass in order to get through this barrier that I was feeling in my life. And I I admired her within the group. I thought that she she was really excelling and, and she had become a proctor, like one of those more proficient mentor positions. And I thought, well, whatever she's doing, like it must be working. So I I said yes to her at, at a certain point. I was then officially recruited into DOS. And that that involved a lot of other steps, which we do go very deeply into in the docuseries uh, into in Seduced. And one of those things included collateral and a multitude of other kinds of checkpoints in order to qualify, if you will, um, or to kind of test your loyalty to, to the group. And for me, at that point, I had been so indoctrinated into believing what these people were teaching that it was impossible for me to see the truth behind what was really going on. I was I was all in. I was too deep. Right. And 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 so it's like many times people are like, 
I would never do that. That's crazy. And I'm like, yeah, but you don't really understand what happens to somebody's brain and to somebody's capacity to make sound decisions when they have gone through a grooming process like I have gone. And I'm I'm not unique to this. I mean, this group, these types of grooming techniques and these types of manipulations are used in many different, unfortunately, mostly against women, but in many different types of manipulative groups or companies or even just a one-on-one type of relationship. And I and I think that's one of the things that I wanted to make super clear in the series is that these, what I now call like the red flags that I didn't see are things that once you know, you can't really unknow it. Like it's right. like a superpower. And mm-hmm. so it's kind of like what I felt that the series was going to provide is a roadmap so that people could know what not to do, like what to look out for and how to avoid and then how to protect the people that you love and care about against predators and manipulative people because they exist. They're not going away. No, it's, and if you don't think like them, you're not going to be able to see it. Right. So you need to be able to know their strategies. You need to know the types of language that they use. Like it's all there. Right. And so for me, I mean, flash, we're, we're kind of jumping around yeah. in the timeline right now, but flash, flash forward to, I guess, 2017, when all of the Nexium uh, news started to hit more mainstream. And my mom became really vocal about her opinions about Nexium and about what she believed was going on in DOS. And I was still very much entrenched um, and really felt afraid of the outside. And so I retreated more into Nexium and that became like a back and forth battle for, you know, over a year, almost a year, I didn't speak to my mother. And so it's, it, it's taken, it took me a while to even be ready to just talk about what had happened because I initially was uh, incapable of speaking about it. And, and I wasn't able to see it for what it really was because I was so blinded by what I had been brought to believe that it was, that it was, if that makes sense. Totally and so when, when I got out and I started to create some distance for myself, both physically and mentally, um, it was really messy and it was really confusing and it was very hard to find that that balance of like what do i really what do i think what do i believe what's the truth for me because it had been so muddied for so long and so really i just began to write and that writing process really helped me just feel safe to communicate the things that had happened and then simultaneously I was working with the FBI for about nine months as a cooperating witness and that's very intense and that's really hard and you have to look at your life and your decisions in a very linear way repeatedly and so in a way I was kind of deprogramming myself without really knowing it And I had also worked with a deprogrammer. I've also worked with therapists. I mean, I've done a lot of different things. I've tried a lot of things. It's trial and error when it comes to this kind of stuff because it's not one size fits all. And it really is about discovering and trusting what works for you in your own healing journey. When seduced, uh, which wasn't really, it wasn't even seduced at that point, but when when Cecilia Peck and Imbal Lesnar approached me about a potential project related to Nexium. I wasn't sure if I was ready to talk about it. And I wasn't sure if I wanted to be exposed even more than I had already had. So I thought like, maybe I'll just run away to the woods and change my name and say like, fuck it to all of this stuff. But, but then the longer that I sat with myself and started to go deeper into what, what had happened, 
I realized that there wasn't any escaping. Like it was going to be with me whether I dealt with it or not. And I I made a decision to kind of just go all in. And I was like, this is my, I guess this is my chance to take my life back in my own hands. And it, there couldn't be a better way than to have control of, of that narrative and to be able to just share my truth as rawly and as bluntly as possible and be like, that's, that's what it was. That's it. Yeah. And then it, <laughs> there was a great relief that came with that, but also a lot of fear of just going against all of this programming of not speaking, not sharing, keeping all of these secrets. So you have to push against all of that old program to kind of get onto the other side where you can look at things in with just more objectivity and just more clarity. And so it's been a wild journey, but the decision was a really serious decision for me because I knew it was going to affect everybody that I loved. It was going to affect me. I didn't know what the outcome was going to be. I didn't know how it was going to be received by the public. I didn't know if anyone was going to give a shit. And so it was just, it really, it just came down to, I don't want this to happen to anybody else. And I want this to be behind me and I want to get through this. And that was kind of where my decision came from. And what has the response been like from for you personally? Oh, about about seduce or yeah. from other people? Um, for me? Yeah. What what has the response for you been about the doc about the docuseries? I mean, well, one, I was I was able to executive produce. So that was an incredible learning experience for me because I had always uh, I've always loved film, especially documentary. And so I just learned a tremendous amount about awesome. what happens um, behind the scenes and in the editing room and just in production in general. And I was able to help and guide that narrative so that it would be clear to people like how this could happen to anybody. Mm -hmm. And that was really something I wanted to communicate. And so it's pretty liberating. Like when you Good. when you get it all out, like, I don't know, I think everyone can relate to like holding a secret and releasing a secret and just like what <laughs> the relief of lifting that burden. And it was a it was a mix of that and a lot of nerves. And I had panic attacks I had you know you name it there was a it was waves of emotion and that also came back that those kinds of waves when I was doing more press because I was talking about it on repeat and so that was kind of re-traumatizing but also I was once again like deprogramming myself with the truth right. and reprogramming myself with my own beliefs and I know that sounds super weird and it's like sci-fi because I'm not a not computer at person at all <laughs> But it really is. It's like, how do you, you have to be willing to change the way you think about your beliefs. And that's scary because it feels very destabilizing at times. I'm sure. And your decision to make this documentary, I just think was so brave and so admirable because mm -hmm. the, the big message that I took away truly was what you hope to accomplish. It could happen to anyone. You are so beautiful and smart and articulate. And so this message coming from you really means a lot. And I think that the first, when people read headlines or sound bites the first thing they think I would never but but you know in the yeah. first pamphlet that you someone probably showed you of the it was like you know let's release childhood traumas let's do our best well that's what everyone wants that's what I wanted it didn't say hey we're gonna do readiness drills and restrict <laughs> calories like of course you would okay. go running from the hills that happened five years later exactly like that's exactly so that I'm so glad that you said that because like this shit does not happen overnight. No. no. I mean, these people are skilled. They know what they're doing. This stuff takes time. It can happen faster, but mm -hmm. it can also take a while for someone. You're, you're changing someone's way of thinking. That takes a lot of work. And so that's something that I wanted. 
to make sure that was clear is that the people that are doing this are people that have already thought about this. Like you and I, we don't think like that. We don't Mm -hmm. think about how can I control and possess and manipulate this person for my own well-being. That's a psychopath. And you're assuming everybody has good intentions, too. You're assuming that people are coming from a... Mostly, I do. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, and that fucks me over sometimes, too. But it's it's just the way I am. It's part of my nature. I'm a trusting person. And Mm -hmm. it's something that I'm having to kind of not unlearn, but refine in that I just need to be a little more discerning. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. so I actually have a young friend. She's 22, just graduated from college. And her father sat her down and said, "I really want you to watch this. Like I just want you to watch oh, this this about this story of this girl. And you have been such inspiration to her." And I thought, "What a beautiful thing. This dad thinking, "Okay, my daughter is at a vulnerable time, just leaving school, doesn't know, you know what I mean? It's a perfect thing." So I just it's just such a beautiful thing that you really that you did for other people because we've all learned so much from it just so much that makes me really happy because that that that's like one of the biggest rewards it really I mean you really are amazing India and I I think I mentioned to you when I we first reached out to you and started a dialogue that I had been through an, a grooming experience as a teenager and yes, you did seeing over your, Instagram you yes yes and I I didn't talk about it for years for years and it, it took a lot of time and space and therapy and even watching you speak about it and putting terms and and definitions to words that I didn't even know existed I was like wait that happened to me that happened to me yeah that exact thing happened to me. Oh my God. And just to know that I wasn't alone and this wasn't something that I brought on myself, that this was something that- You're going to make that... me cry. Oh my God. <laughs> I'm going to get a tissue real quick <laughs> before it starts melting down my face. <laughs> but seriously, it you the way you're just so brave and I am just so grateful for for you speaking out and, and so eloquently and sophisticated in a sophisticated way. Because if I have a daughter or- I'm going to show my nieces. I mean, we can we can warn people and we can educate people. And I just I can't even imagine if 15 year old Tina before I met this person, if I would have walked in and watched this documentary or this docuseries or heard you speak or listened to this podcast, if I would have gone, oh, wait, you know what? This doesn't feel right. And I'm going to listen to that. You talk about that, that burning ball of fire, like in your stomach. And I'm like, oh, my God, it was like you're your one piece of yourself holding on, right? It was that that's I what I took from that. Was that what that yeah, felt I mean, like? It was it was like my war I, I I don't feel that anymore, just so you know. And it was something that I did feel all the time when I was there and I would talk about it. And I, I would ask and I was like so innocent. Like like why I get this thing like every time you're near me, like this burning feeling in my stomach and my chest. Is, is that okay? Like, I was genuinely, I remember even asking yeah. Keith that question and being like, okay, every time I'm with you, I, I get this thing in my chest and it's vibrating and I feel afraid. Like, I, I didn't use that word fear because right. that was not, that was not allowed. But it was this thing and it was like, well, that's your problem. Ugh. And I really believed that for a long time that that was my problem. Like, I was never going to be able to get rid of that. But it was actually, I think, in a way like my own intuition my warning my warning system inside saying like this is not good and I just didn't listen and I don't I don't do that anymore I make mistakes in other ways but not like that and and I think um that's just something that I that I have had to really rebuild and 
And I think intuition is so important. I think con- like connecting to your gut about things like if it's not my mom always tells me if it's not a strong ass don't do it like, That's yes. great. <laughs> like if it's not a strong ass don't do it. I'm like oh damn it she's right yeah but, yeah and, and, and it's true because like I really do think that when you're in tune with yourself it's so much easier when you're when you're fractured and when you're being kind of taken when you're being coerced you're not in control. And and I think that's hard for people to understand. And I know that you understand because you've experienced certain similar similar things that I have. But I think anyone can kind of relate to being fooled. So mm-hmm. I feel like that's like the closest comparison. So if you're like, if you're someone out there that thinks like, okay, this would never happen to me. That's fine. You can think that, but I don't believe that that's true. I think that everyone has vulnerabilities in one way or another. You may not be vulnerable by a sexual predator, but you might be by a con man. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's just good to know. And it's good to understand the strategies because they really are not original. And these types of <laughs> these types of techniques are like you know from the beginning of time. People it's have really been deceiving people. Quite so amazing. Nowadays, right, and nowadays yeah. we have technology, which makes it additionally more dangerous, in my opinion, because you can kind of infiltrate somebody's space without their consent, mm-hmm. and and that's something that I've been looking at a lot in my um in my own work now is and I'm I'm beginning to write about a book about healing and just like how much more careful we need to be about who you let into your world because you know trust is something that's earned and that's something that I've had to to really learn and relearn reteach myself oh my gosh when that book is on pre-order I am like first in line (laughs) I cannot wait I will be like on Amazon refresh 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 just a baby proposal right now so hopefully oh, fingers crossed that it gets picked up but I really hope has so to. because it's something that's like burning inside of me and I really want to get it out and I I think healing is so nuanced it's so not straightforward it's not. Uh, you know and 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 it no and I, I I just I see that with myself like how many moments I just felt so low and so discouraged and so depressed like when am I ever gonna feel good again and that 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 is possible that it that it right. you can and that yes you can have fucked up days or you can get triggered or you can have a bad moment or you can you know I get absorbed by stress and then I forget to eat and then I feel like really crazy and my my fiance is like eat now and, and so sometimes I just need a little reminder but there's it's just it's complicated and, and like you said Tina I just want people to know that they they're not alone in that process and that whether it's messy or, you know, one step forward, two steps back, that's just what it is. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. And that it's also not your fault. You didn't do anything no. wrong. And that was a huge thing of, in, in my healing journey of like, I, I had to take the blame away from myself. I, I wasn't yeah. at fault. And again, watching you that's speak. That's hard to do. It's so hard to do. But it, it really, I, I loved that message too. And I think I love that you took control of the narrative, like you said, and you took the power it's your story and you're going to tell it. It's yours now. And I I have goosebumps right now. I'm just thinking about it. It just makes me, I feel Aww. so empowered by by you and your story. And I could just rave <laughs> about you all day. But anyway, we'll ask more questions. I'm just, I, yes, yes. I'm loudly agreeing with you and like. <laughs> and maybe we can do an Instagram live if you guys are still doing that at some, at some point. Maybe if people have follow-up questions to. Absolutely. The- that would be amazing. Um, 
That would be amazing. I know that it sounds like you guys are already pros <laughs> at that, so I need to learn. <laughs> that would be great. We would love that. I'm sure our listeners would absolutely love that, and we could reach a whole other de- demographic of people and and get more information out there. I would. We would love that. Yeah. Thank you. Hi, I'm David. And I'm Liz. Hey, Liz, are you schmat? I'm pretty schmat. Are you schmat? Not as schmat as I'm going to be after I listen to an episode of Learn a Little. Learn a Little? That's a stupid podcast for smart people. It sure is. Every episode, Liz and I each take a random Wikipedia article and teach the other person about it. We could be learning about anything, from the politics of West African islands to Olympic gold medalists from New Jersey. Then we quiz each other to see who wins each episode and who gets to wear the crown of schmat. So far, I have not yet won. So come laugh along and learn a little with new episodes every other Friday. Hosted by Dimly Wit and Background Joys, it's available wherever you get your podcasts. Learn a little, a stupid podcast for schmat people. (laughs) Schmat. It's an interesting point about what you said about fear was not allowed or your reaction to something was not allowed. And that in the documentary, mm-hmm. and if you watch The Vow, it was always like, if someone's having a reaction, they have to go get an EM. Like, you use that term. And can you tell us what mm-hmm. what was that? Or what did they think they were, they were accomplishing with that? Yeah. Okay. So the EM, in my opinion, is kind of like um, a butchered version of, ther- like, a th- it's kind of like a therapeutic process that actually gets used by credentialed therapists. Uh, they just kind of ripped it off and then did their own version. But really what it what it is when you break it down is it's kind of like a re-traumatizing process. So you get somebody to a very vulnerable state in their psyche, and then you reintroduce a new belief that makes them feel better in that moment. And it gives them kind of this like aha conclusion, like, oh, okay, we're good. And and that that's a really dangerous tool because in that process, you can actually reprogram somebody's way of thinking and feeling. And what happened with me is I got a, a lots and lots of EMs. I was, you know, getting them constantly. And I remember what I believed was happening was that I was being less reactive to things outside of myself. What really was happening was I was becoming more numb to things that were happening outside of myself. So it was the opposite of what I believed. Um, And I was desensitized to things. And that's a very common practice in other types of high control groups. And was this like a one-on-one sort of experience? Like, would you go in with Keith or you'd go in with a a proctor? Not with, I mean, Keith did his own version of that when he would just talk to you on walks but they had these people that they called EMPs which were like EM practitioners and you would pay them to basically take you through this talk therapy process and sometimes it could take 15 minutes sometimes it could take an hour and it just depended on how deep you could go and the way that they would ask you to use the EM was related to a stimulus response like a Pavlovian link and I think if you watch if you watch either The Vow or Seduced we talk about Mm -hmm. this and that was one of their main pitches actually in ESP and how they hooked people was that they said they had this special technology that would allow you to break Pavlovian links and I remember when I first heard that in the intro presentation I thought like holy shit that's so cool because there's so many things that I want to do that then I get scared and then I stop Mm -hmm. and I thought 
maybe if that maybe this is the thing that's going to take that away so that I can just go all in (laughs) right no fear and that was kind of their one of their big carrots like if you will like one of the things that they dangled over people was that they had this ability to remove those blocks but really what was happening is you're actually just removing your reaction and replacing it with with you know I'm doing air quotes but pseudo right, it sounds like just being pulled further and further away from your own intuition like that that relationship is, is that's true separating it seems very true wow mm-hmm. yeah because now you're being taught that so you were taught that your gut was kind of like the primitive responder and that your logic was superior and that was part of the indoctrination <sighs> that that ESP used mm-hmm. so you know on the surface it's easy to buy that it's totally. easy to go it's easy to go oh yeah you know sometimes I have these illogical feelings inside of me that don't match my logical decision that I want but what I didn't realize was that was I was that was replacing like I was being right. replaced with their logic not right. with my own right and that I was losing the connection to actually my own you know intuition and beliefs about things to the point where I just didn't know where I wanted anymore and I what I thought I wanted was Nexium and to succeed and I believe that wholeheartedly but that comes from a place of being led there not that that was really your decision and I I think most people uh are like how can that happen but it can well everyone has a certain amount of anxiety right but it's like are we nervous because there's a job interview or are we nervous because there might be a predator in the room and we need to listen to our gut and we need to protect ourselves so I can see how that would be very attractive to because everyone wants Mm -hmm. lower anxiety everyone wants less stress everyone wants to go you know jump through their blocks but wow okay so so we start there and then as we see in the documentary you start moving into the DOS section of of your experience and Mm -hmm. can you kind of I think we we understand through watching of kind of like the broad spectrum of it but if you're comfortable could you kind of just take us through what a day in your life would have been like like an average day in that time yeah so at that time I was living with Allison Mack and that was actually an instruction from Keith that was something I didn't know so that was all being orchestrated behind the scenes um and ultimately to be a lure for other recruited women which I also wasn't aware of until later on when I was made to recruit but the like an average day it was very regimented very controlled I would wake up at about 6 a.m I would do my check-in task list that I would then send to Allison I would get on um I would get on into a cold shower every day just to like as part of the, um, you know, a lot of things were ritualized and they were repeated and repetition is used very strategically as well um, in many high control groups. And that's something I only learned after the fact, but every day was kind of the same. And so I would report my weight every day. That was also something that I was obligated to do. I would have to then, uh, before I ate, I would need to calculate all of the calories and report and ask permission for every everything that I was going to ingest. Um, and then I would kind of go into a very weird way of working where it was kind of a mix of like DOS related ritual things where I would have to read articles and reports and give uh, Allison these kinds of confessions every day and in the email. It was, it was like living in a like an alternative reality because I barely interfaced with like anything outside of Knox Woods. Wow. 
And I was in this, you know, I was in upstate New York, a place where I'm not from, kind of living in the suburbs. You know, I would go to Walmart. I would go to, you know, the surrounding areas, but I would have to ask permission if I was going to go anywhere outside of, of the neighborhood. And you're not like socializing or able to go to the movies or dinner. You could, you could, but it was it was all under what they would permit. So it wasn't like you had, you you didn't have free reign. You couldn't just be like, see ya, I'm going to New York today. (laughs) You would have to be like, you'd have to be like, no joke, like master, may I go to New York? And I mean, like, it's even weird for me to have to say those types of things now because it feels so fucking foreign. But there was a time where that was my regular life. And, um, so we would take trips to New York City, but it was all for recruitment. Or we would take trips to other places, but they would have to be uh, something that was approved by either Allison wow. or Keith. And that also included travel. So really, like my day, like I said, it was a lot of monotony. Monotony. It was like, we're going to do this again and again and again. And if I was going to watch TV, it wasn't like I was just sitting around fucking around on Netflix. It was right. I was going to watch something that was specific and that either Allison had chosen or that she approved of like wow the times that the times that she was away or out of town were like the best because I would just like relax for a little bit but when she was there I was pretty much on eggshells because her reaction to things were so tumultuous Mm -hmm. so when you think of Allison now I mean now that you are kind of on the other side how do you feel are you angry with her do you feel sorry for her do you you do Yeah, I do. Um, You know, I've gone through a lot of mixed emotions about her, especially the more that I learn about how these things work. And I don't know about if Allison had any predisposed condition to, you know, mental illness or anything. I just don't know. It would be easy to say, yeah, she does. I'm not a therapist, so I can't make those claims. But just from living with her and and now seeing and knowing a little bit more about uh, manipulation, about mental illness and coercion, I can see that she may have. Um, I think that deep down, she was looking for a purpose. And she was looking for a way to feel like makes me so sad to think about it now, like she really wanted depth in her life. And I remember her telling me that a lot, like she just felt like such a surface level person, I think, in a lot of ways, because she had always just grown up in the entertainment industry. She took care of her family in that way. Since the time that she was three, she didn't have a lot of other things on her own. So like, I I look at her very differently. I do see her as very much a victim, but also a perpetrator. In many ways, there are things that she did that I would not do. And there were things that she had us do that were very cruel and that were very aggressive and that hurt friends that I still have. So I, it's mixed. It's like, yeah, I, I think anyone who related or interacted with Keith Raniere is ultimately a victim because he just used people for whatever he could get. But there's a line. And thank God I don't have to be that decision maker and that that was left to the government to decide. But the, I don't think she was the same person at all what, that she was when she entered Nexium than when she no, was arrested. Absolutely not. No, I, no. It's- If that answers the question, I don't know, but that's kind of how I feel about it. Exactly, because it's so complicated, and I think you did such a great job of naming it, of she was a victim but also a perpetrator. That's a very complicated dynamic and and thing to say, I think. It's just like something that I've struggled with so much because, yeah, there are things that, you know, as on uh, as a second line DOS member that because I had to recruit other people 
there were people who were charged for those types of acts. And they, those were first line DOS slaves to Keith. And so it's like, how do you reconcile that within yourself? Like, how do you come to terms with it? And it's been really scary. And there's been things that I've had to confront in myself and certain healing that I've had to do with other people. Certain people aren't ready for it. Certain people really want it. And I've, I've, I've spent a lot of time just like thinking about that and trying to repair those relationships. And I'm not perfect either. And I, I, I just know that it's not my responsibility to change everybody. And if there's still friends that I have that are very much loyal to Keith, those are not really my friends anymore those are people that were once my friends that are still really lost in it so really are I, I this was something I was interested in asking you even after after all of this and and people being arrested and the law of coming down and saying this is wrong and people getting out are there there really are still a group of of Nexium just believers and practitioners and followers of Keith yeah wow yeah. There are, and there's probably, there's like, there's a good amount of them too. That's the really crazy part is that, I mean, it's not like, I mean, I don't, I, I would guess that it's probably under a hundred, okay. but that's still like that's still... a decent amount of people who don't have their lives back. And for me, I mean, part of why I want to continue to speak about this is just because I think that cults and coercion it's a human rights issue. And it, it's not just something that's going on in the US. And you really are taking someone's right to decide for themselves away from them. And that's so not okay. And so when I look at these people who are still super loyal to him, I, I just feel for them so much because I remember when I felt that way, when I felt like everybody out there doesn't know a damn about what we're doing in here. And I know it, what we're doing. It's perfectly fine and like that was the way that I was thinking and so I can I can understand them but I also feel like at this point it's not my responsibility to change them anymore they need to decide and I know that that decision is really hard because you have to question your decisions like is what I'm doing good and that's a hard thing for people to ask themselves Truly, it's so I love how you speak about uh, just you're so empathetic and like understanding of of <laughs> the human condition and like how two things I try to be <laughs> can exist at one time but that just goes to show that like you're just you are you have the best intentions like this is you are a good person and thanks you know I think about so bad shit happens to good people bad shit happens <laughs> to good people you're absolutely right um so L- Lauren Saltzman was mm-hmm. a first line DOS slave right and her mom Correct. is Nancy Saltzman who is the co-founder mm-hmm. of Nexium. Yep. did Nancy have any idea what her daughter was doing I don't think so like she wasn't even aware that this that DOS existed no, there are many things that Nancy Sullivan was aware of about Keith's behavior. I think she was not aware of DOS because okay. I think if she would have known about DOS, she would have freaked out because I saw it happen. And when she found out about DOS, I was like there and she lost her shit. What happened? Because she was like, she was like, how can you like, this is going to destroy my company. <gasps> and so she was really focused on preserving ESP because it was a big moneymaker for her. Mm-hmm. And, and it was her, you know, she had given everything to Keith her whole, like 20, 20 years, 20 plus years. And so I think she was terrified that this was going to be the thing that was going to blow it all up. And she was right. Mm -hmm. It did. And it was the branding that really um, tipped, tipped this all upside down. And, and Keith, you know, being the narcissist that he is thinking that he's smarter than everyone, that he can get ahead of anything and that he has a solution for everything was really like getting cornered 
and was getting crazier and crazier in his behavior. And I think he kept like, if you, if you know anything about true crime, if you know anything about, I mean, I'll just say it, serial killers, predators, manipulate, like manipulative Mm -hmm. people in power, they do this. They compartmentalize information in order to keep control over the people that they want doing one thing. They don't want them knowing that. They want this person to know that. And they cherry pick who has information like the mob. And so that's kind of what Keith did. And that's how he orchestrated the organization. So I think this was one of the things that Nancy Salzman didn't know of. And actually, just for those who don't know, um, Lauren Salzman was recruited after me as a first line DOS slave. So she came into DOS after me and it had already kind of been going. And so she wasn't even in that first, that first beginning group like that had that, that was, um, like Loretta Garza, uh, Monica Duran, uh, Daniela Padilla, Allison Mack, Nikki Klein, uh, one person that I'm not going to name because they're Jane Doe. And then uh, I believe the, who am I missing? Um, Rosa Laura Junco. So like all of those people were really that original group with Keith that created DOS. Then uh, uh, Lauren came later. And I think that's partly why her testimony was so powerful was because I think there came a point where she really realized that she had been used Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and that she was going to go down as a pawn of Keith's. And so that's that's a powerful choice for her to make to testify. I mean, for me, being a cooperating witness felt like my job. Like right. I was like, this is what I have to do to make things right in my life. Her, she had been in this since she was 20, 20, 21 years old. I mean, can you imagine being a 40 something year old woman? That's like, that's half of your life yeah. that you've dedicated to this. So to go against that just must've been tremendously difficult. So I actually have a, a respect for her, even though I do know that she had done some heinous things to other people. So long story short, I mean, I have a lot of opinions about. I, I mean, oh, I so can't imagine. Yeah, I cannot imagine the strong opinions you have. Um, so the other two, besides you, <laughs> our other two favorite parts of Seduce were your mother and your grandmother, who we are big oh, fans of. Thank you. We yes. love them. So your mother just fought like hell to get you out of there, and she is so smart and well spoken and put together and well researched. I mean, her coming out with her binders and her. I mean. Wow. <laughs> I always tease her. I'm like, why the hell did you even become an actor? You're yes! a lawyer. Like, seriously. Is, that, my mom loves it. Like, my mom would, I think one of the shows that she referred me to was uh, Mindhunters. Like, my mom thinks that way. And so she, she went all in. And when she realized that no one was going to help her, she knew that she was going to have to become more educated on this topic than anybody else. And that's my mom. She's amazing. That's That's how she is. She reminds me so much of my mom who too had a binder and like showed up, like had a binder of like proof to be like, this is what's happening to you. And I'm going to fight like hell to get this to stop happening to you. She actually refers to herself um, jokingly as Dickless Tracy. (laughs) Because she's like, I will find anything out. I will find anything out. I will investigate until... I get whatever I need to know. And so we lovingly refer to her as, as Dickless Tracy because like, uh, leave it to a mother. Like she, a mother will Seriously. do what it takes. But yeah, your mom was so impressive with the binder. And I was like, I, I know right. the binder. <laughs> you know the binder. Yeah. And she, she really, I, I just have just an enormous amount of gratitude and respect for my mom and what she did and the amount of work that she did and what she had to go through and so much 
just pushback and just like hopelessness. And, and so our relationship now is just so incredibly different than it was before. And we just, we're, we're like a team, which is, I mean, you can't really wish for more. That's incredible. I'm so happy. That is so great. I know. And my grandma is just like my, my hero. So she's amazing. That's another thing. And she's just so cool. I was chatting with her today and she, I had posted some photographs on Instagram recently (laughs) and, and she was like, she don't, She's like, I saw your pictures in the Serbian press today. And I was like, oh, really? And it was, it's okay? And she was like, oh, yeah. And she was really positive about it. I was like, I felt really empowered by that. Yes. Great. And my, and so she's just like, she's such an inspirational woman because she's just so ahead of her time. And she always has been. And she can talk to anybody about anything and probably their language as well, because she's just that brilliant. And I, um, I miss her a lot because I haven't been able to see her since we filmed Seduced. And that was when, I guess, September, two years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, almost. So it was uh, just about that. Um, uh, I really, really hope that she'll be able to come visit I hope so too I hope so too I know she's she's great she's hilarious we got such a kick out of her she's also kind of a New Yorker I mean she lived there for many years yeah and so she has that just kind of like you know she's seen it all not phased not totally (laughs) she was like not fooled she was just a not fooled at all at any point she's she grew up in a communist country like there's not a lot she's like i see what's going on right yeah gosh so i love how you wow refer to the course of control as a human rights issue and the part of Mm -hmm. the documentary that i teared up at was when you and the group of women also survivors went and spoke at arizona state to the law students Mm -hmm. and i just got chills i teared up because i felt like i was just seeing change happen in in real time and what are what are your hopes and dreams for for laws around this in a in a perfect world Well, in a perfect world, I would hope that there is a clear and understandable definition of coercion for people that's not just legalese, that that is easy to understand and that people can relate to and they can identify. And then on top of it, I hope that there's more laws. And I, and that's part of my, my mission and my goal is to make sure that there are changes in legislation around coercive control. Right now, they have some in England uh, and I think a couple other laws in parts of Europe. Currently, the only law that they have been able to pass, I believe, I could be out of date, but I don't think I am. In California, in family court, there are laws about coercion when it comes to uh, domestic disputes mm-hmm. and like and and getting uh, custody and things like that because you can use that as a way to prove that one parent is not um, capable because they use coercive or manipulative tactics and that's unhealthy for the child so that makes me really happy that that exists it makes me a little unhappy that it's just so small and really only in one tiny part of the law but gives me hope that there can be more and that it can expand and I I also really am working with a couple other organizations that I think are super important, like FAC, which is Families Against Cultic Teachings, and also RAIN. Um, And those are such good resources for anyone who has either a family member 
who is a victim of domestic abuse or in a high control group or in some sort of version of that. As we know, there's many versions out there. So you just don't need to be in a cult to be coerced. Coercion exists. And so I really just want there to be more resources for therapy for people to know that there is someone to talk to, there's somewhere to go, because oftentimes people come out of a cult or an abusive, traumatic relationship, and they have nowhere to go. And they, you know, they've isolated themselves from their family, they've either lost their career, or they've spent all their money on this person. And so I'm trying hard to make sure that there's more money, because it's just there isn't a lot of money available for this topic right now. And and I'm, I'm kind of using the human trafficking angle, because there is money and resources through the government for those types of things and being able to kind of allocate that to people who qualify. So it's hard. I'm really overwhelmed by it, to be honest. It's a lot. And I I really need it. I'm looking for more people who are motivated and who want to make changes in that way so that I can collaborate and use my skills because I just can't do everything. I'm just not capable. No, (laughs) you cannot. And the the more you speak, you educate people every time you speak. And like these fact Mm -hmm. and and rain, these resources, I've never heard of them. I just wrote them down. I'm going to look them up. We'll post about them. It's rain, R-A-N-N. R-A-I-N-N. And they are... And we'll put that in the description box in the podcast for anybody to go check it out too. Yeah, I get so many messages on Instagram that are just so heartfelt and just really raw, like even like yours, Tina, just like sharing about their life and their experience. And sometimes they're super similar to me. And I'm like, holy shit, this is like a carbon copy of what I went through. Or sometimes they're entirely different. But I... I'm not a trained professional. I, I'm not capable of taking people through the therape- therapeutic process that they might need. And so that's why these resources exist. I wish that I was that way, but I'm not. And so there's times where I get these messages and I'm like, okay, how do I handle this? Like, how do I handle this appropriately? And I haven't been able to get to all of them. <laughs> that's of the crazy course. part. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure you're just inundated with with all kinds of yeah. messages. You're but sharing there's, these resources a lot of is them. so so helpful. Okay, before you go, because I yes. we don't want to take too much of your time, can you just tell yes. us a little bit about your beautiful life now that you have made? I mean, you have yeah, you, you've created such a beautiful life for yourself, <laughs> and we know you have a fiance. Can you just give us a little bit about? your life now? Well, I just moved back to Los Angeles, California to work more on producing and writing. Awesome. And I, I just, I just feel so lucky to be able to have the life that I have now. I mean, I have a wonderful fiance who's like, seriously, my biggest champion and supporter. And he's also a fabulous chef and pizza maker. So that's oh, a huge perk in my life. Rainbow. Yeah. And <laughs> you know, he, he's awesome. And I just, I get to be close to my family and I get to travel and I get to do all these things that, you know, just a couple of years ago, just were not in my life. And I didn't know if I was ever going to have that back in my life. And I had kind of renounced that. And so just, just the fact that I get to have this now, it just feels like sometimes I'm walking around my neighborhood and I'm like, holy shit, like, this is awesome because I just feel way more grateful and way more honoring of my own life. Whereas I think There was a time where I just didn't think that it had any value or any worth. And I just don't, I don't believe that. Oh my gosh. 
Oh my gosh. India, your gratitude and joy and hope just like is radiating through the Zoom screen. It's so wonderful. I'm we're just so happy that you are thriving and happy and you. you're such an inspiration. We are so happy we got to talk to you today and we hope we can stay in touch and, and do an Instagram live at some point and that'd be fun. Cause you know, like I have of course up too, like everybody else and you know, when my period comes, it's like a cry fast and all of that. And but it's just I'm a human being, but yeah, no, I'm really, I'm trying and I'm, I just feel really hopeful. Thank you so much. You're so inspiring to us. Thank Thank you guys. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Enjoy your weekend. Bye. You too. Don't forget to follow, rate, and review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for more content, make sure to subscribe to us on YouTube, Patreon, and give us a follow at Obsessed with the Best Pod on Instagram and TikTok. Hosted on dimlywit.com.